Official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. And wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. We know you got choices. Uh, we appreciate you choosing us. I'd like to thank my operator in tow, Colson Schultz, in for Sean Kleisinger. We're hoping to have Zinger back on the other side of Easter. Not that we don't like Colson, but uh, yeah, he's got a, he's got that manly beard too. I'm a little intimidated by his beard. He looks like he just rolled out of the woods with a shotgun and some flannel. So there you go. Uh, Colson operating the phones. You can always get a hold of us, 936-6262. That's our text line number and our local calling number. The number is powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, the number one GM dealership in Saskatchewan. You can weigh in on the show. Also, all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza locations about their specials but we want to get to our main sponsor of the show which is our good friends over there at spreads.ca sign up using the code ckrm and you'll receive a free 25 dollar sports bet in the nhl tonight we got 12 games arizona at vancouver vegas in calgary washington at toronto ovi against the Austin Matthews, Matthews 58 goals. Ovi has scored in four straight games. He's got 46. Ottawa at Boston. And my Edmonton Oilers on the road in Nashville. And that is where we start the show in Nashville, in Smashville, with the color commentator in the Edmonton Oilers radio network. So you sometimes see him on Sportsnet and the intermission shows with Gene Principe. It is our good friend and regular contributor, Bob Stoffer. All right, Bob Stoffer, you're in one of the cities I've always wanted to go to. Now, believe it or not, I've never been to Vegas, but I hear this is kind of the new Vegas, Nashville, Smashville. First of all, what's it like as a city, and secondly, as a hockey town? Well, it's it's a great city, and it's you know I'm in year 14 of doing color, and the amount of uh, for the Oilers, the amount of new buildings and new hotels that have opened up. This has become one of the top uh, convention locations. Uh, you know, they have, uh, you know, you got a lot of, what do I call that when women uh, women women converge together and go for one last uh, stagettes or whatever? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they Right, like it is a popular, popular place. And it's a lot of fun. If you like live music, it's great. Things are put it this way: If you come here, be ready. You know, make sure you bring some Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure, make sure that uh, you get your sleep in before you come, because you're probably not going to get a lot of sleep, and you know you're, you're going to have a good time. And we had uh, 75 people from an Oilers Now road trip. We do these trips. We've done them for the last 11 years. We've done 19 trips total. This was the most attended uh, trip. And, you know, we were with those people all, all, all last night. It's a great time. We brought some of the, uh, you know, some of our personnel down to meet some of the fans, and it was a, a pretty cool experience. But this is about as much right now. I'd say in the National Hockey League, I personally prefer Nashville over Las Vegas. Uh, it's a, and it's a beautiful, clean city. It's not too hot, uh, but it's certainly much warmer than it is right now in the prairies. And uh, as a result, it makes for a heck of a trip. Awesome, man. So, Bob, uh, hopefully the Oilers, speaking of hot, can heat up tonight because they had a bad night the other night, not only on the ice in Minnesota, but on the out-of-town scoreboard. Uh, 
been liking how they're playing Till really last night, but I will or the other night. But I will tell you, man, uh, they're not home. Uh, they're not free and clear right now just yet. So they got to right. pick, they got to pick up their socks tonight. They're not. I mean, I think logically, if they win for their final, uh, what do I got? Nine games left, eight games left, wherever it is. Uh, if they if they win half of them, they'll be they'll finish ninety eight points. And they'll be in the playoffs for sure, and they'll probably be in second place. But they're not. They don't have a spot secured yet, and this is going to be a challenge. Uh, this trip was going to be a challenge. Minnesota's got one of the toughest, heaviest teams in the NHL. They can aggressively forecheck, and they have had the Oilers' number all season long. And, you know, they dominated Edmonton in stretches like that game and really got to the Oilers' defense. They turned a lot of pucks over, and there were moments where you could see that physicality uh, got to the Oilers a little bit. And Nashville might be Minnesota White. Like, uh, even though Nashville's got more fighting majors, uh, you know, obviously Tanner Janot has been a wonderful story this year. He's got a chance to do something that's, I don't think it's ever been done. Uh, and, uh, you know, a guy leading, an NHL rookie leading uh, rookie goal scores and uh, in fighting majors. And, uh, you know, he's been an impact on the third line. Roman, you got Roman Josi, obviously, is, you know, up for the Norris Trophy, possibly up for the MVP. they got a great goaltender in UC Saros. Matt Duchesne scored six goals in 34 games last year. He's got 38 this year. This is a good, deep hockey club that plays with tempo and pace. That said, Edmonton's found a way to beat him twice at home this year. We'll see what happens here tonight. You know, everybody talks about, and we've talked about it, how the Eastern Conference, you could make a case for any of the eight teams in the playoffs and, uh, to, make, to make a run and, and go to the Stanley Cup and win it. And uh, in the West, everybody's like, well, Colorado and then everybody else. I'll tell you what, after watching that Minnesota Wild game, uh, they're big, they're fast, they got some chemistry. I mean, look out for the Wild. And, you know, you mentioned Nashville, too. So there's some sleepers in the West, too. Uh, well, I do. I do have Colorado on the level, uh, Michael, of everybody else, and the reason why I do is because they went out and they got a goalie, yeah. and he's he's playing great, and they've given him every key start this year, and then they've they've added toughness, which was sort of maybe undermined them a little bit in the last couple of years on playoffs. So, you know, they got McDermott, who might be the best fighter in the league, and uh, and then they got, they got uh, Josh Manson to sort of give them a little bit of more of a push in the back end. And then Colorado can score three lines deep. They've got a real good team. And they're going to, I mean, think of how great those Colorado teams were when they won the cup in 96 and 01. And this team is going to finish with more wins than either of those two teams. They're good. Uh, the central division is obviously stronger. The Pacific division is, it's a shadow of what it once was. You know that. I mean, back in the days when Getzlaff was in Anaheim, Thornton was in San Jose and Kopitar and he's still in LA, but they used to just own the Oilers and Edmonton went five and zero against those Cali teams on the road this year. So um, uh, Central is a tough division. There's some good teams there, but I do have Colorado. And with all due respect to Calgary, I got Colorado on a different level than everybody else. Bob Stoffer of the Edmonton Oilers Radio Network joining us here, very astute broadcaster. Okay, so how do you feel about Bouchard and Keith together, and how do you feel about them independently? Uh, well, I wanted them to play together all season, and unfortunately, you know, they they had a horrendous game together against uh, Minnesota. It wasn't just on them. Uh, you know, the, the forwards didn't do a great job backtracking and uh, maybe running a little bit of interference and buying uh, the, the D an extra second. Duncan Keith had a real bad game. Uh, Duncan Keith played 1,250 games in the league. He'll get over it, uh, and he's got to help. Evan Bouchard get over it. You know, Evan turned the puck over in the second and third goal against though in the third one against Minnesota the other night. That's equally Jesse Pugliarvi's fault as it was Bouchard's. And on the second one, I thought they could have been slashing. I mean, they slashed. You know, Bouchard had the puck. He got slashed in the hands with the puck. 
and there was no call. So uh, I want I, I would prefer seeing them play together. I never understood why uh, Jim Playfair leaned so much on Keith and CeCe and then went Nurse Bouchard or Nurse Barry. I would have had uh, – I like the fact that they played Darnell Nurse and Cody CeCe together, and I like the fact that they've got an experienced vet in, in Keith. And he's got to help settle Evan down when Evan goes through those inevitable ups and downs the 22-year-old defenseman going through. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, Bob, uh, I agree with one of your tweets a couple of days ago. Like, I don't know for sure midseason, but I'm racking my brain for the entire season. Yeah. Has there yeah. been a better acquisition this year than Evander Kane? Well, I don't think there has. Like, here's the thing. It was an acquisition, but the acquisition cost was nothing. Mm-hmm. They didn't give up a first, like, you know what, Toffoli was a good ad for Calgary, but they gave up a first-round pick. Uh, you know, Evander Kane, Toffoli's basically, I'd say he's a second-line winger. Kane's come in as a first-liner, and he's, you know, he's basically scoring on a 37-38 goal pace right now. He's giving the Oilers some much-needed size in their top six. I mean, you got Pugliarvi, who ain't scoring right now at all. He's, you know, he's playing with Connor McDavid. He's getting a lot of real good looks right now. But he's, you know, a six foot four guy that's not physical. And then they got McLeod as a six foot two guy that's not physical. I mean, they both have size, but they don't play with a lot of bite. And then conversely, there's Kane, and he's going to stand up for himself. So I think he's been a great ad for Edmonton. I know people have their opinions on on people, and they don't have the full information and the full story all the time. I mean, all I can tell you is Evander has custody of his child. I think that tells you everything you need to know about the situation that he was going through. And um, you know, he's been he's delivered so far, and he's he's going to get paid in his next contract as a result of it. So it's worked out well for him and Dan Mielstein, his agent. And it's been so far so good for the Edmonton Oilers as well. Do you think you'll get paid by the Oilers? Because it is kind of buyer beware if you look at it. I don't have all the details. 100%. You, you know more complete, than yeah. Complete, yeah, go completely ahead. Completely fair. Yeah, completely fair comment by you. I don't have. You know, to me, it's going to come down to term, and then the money. Like yeah, it's yeah. like I mean, is he a guy? I think someone will pay him minimum five million times four years. I don't know if that's Edmonton with, with the Oilers already having. Zach Hyman on a seven-year deal at five and a half, and RNH on an eight-year deal at five point one two five. That said, Canes looked pretty good as a winner, and uh, they got two restricted free agents between Yamamoto and Poliarvi. So my inclination would be something would have to give between Kane, Poliarvi, and Yamamoto. I don't know if they, they're going to have enough money to sign all three guys. Bob, are you? I don't know how to put this. Are you? Well, I'll, I'll let you decide. How do you feel about Poliarvi? Uh, I, I think he has a chance to be a 22 to 25 goal scorer, 45 to 50 points. I don't think he'll ever be an elite finisher. Uh, some people compare him to Yuri Lettinen, and they forgot that Yuri Lettinen didn't come to the NHL until he was 22, and Jesse's now 23. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think he's got elite level offensive instincts. I do think he can be a strong two way player and a really good middle six winger. But these people who think he must play with Connor McDavid every game, he's got to finish. Like against Colorado, he had two point against San Jose in the two one overtime win for Edmonton. He had two point blank looks, didn't get a shot off on goal. Against Colorado, he had two two on ones with McDavid, where McDavid got him the puck. On the one, he shot the puck back into Darcy Camper, and the other Camper made a real good save. And then early in the game against Minnesota, when it was scoreless, you know McDavid beats two guys, and Jesse's just got to get a stick on the puck, and he doesn't. And unfortunately, that's the part of his game that concerns me when he's playing with McDavid. He's got to find a way to, to finish more plays off. 
Bob, thanks for your time. Enjoy the game tonight. Hopefully the Oilers can uh, put in a good showing and enjoy the rest of your time in Nashville. All right. Thanks, Michael. Take care. Talk to you next week. The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Well, our next guest might be a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. This segment is brought to you by Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey, Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Call 781-1077. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. And, uh, yeah, this guy was pegged by John Hodge of Three Down Nation to go to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I think he had him at 16. Overall, this is Nathan Cherry, defensive lineman for the U of S Huskies, joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. My first time talking to you. How are you today, Nathan? Good, good. How are you doing? Good, man. So how was the combine for you? Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was an awesome experience. Just being able to be with a bunch of other youth sports athletes, all kind of top of the tier as far as where they are on their teams. It was a good experience meeting everyone and being able to compete with them. Do you get a newfound respect for some of the guys maybe you butt heads with on a uh, on a uh, seasonal basis here in Canwest, but even more than that from other conferences? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, in the games, you're always kind of view them as the enemy, but then when you sit down and have meals with them and get to know them they're all really good guys and they're all in the same boat as you right trying to catch the eye of the professionals yeah exactly yeah we're all just trying they're trying to do our best when did you know nathan cherry that you wanted to be a professional football player oh probably since i was a small child i think when i was at my grandma's house we'd watch friday night football there uh <laughs> watching the rider games as a kid that's probably when i first knew i wanted to now, did you know you always wanted to be on defense? When did that come to be? Oh, uh, I never knew if I wanted to be. I actually at first really wanted to be a receiver, and then my body kind of kept growing, and I really liked food, so <laughs> that was never really an option once I was in high school. So <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so, who was your favorite rider when you were growing up? Watching Friday Night Football tonight. Oh, yeah. Darian Durant or probably Chris Getzlaff. Oh, yeah. Getzy, I ran into him at the Regina Red Sox dinner last weekend. And, uh, yeah, he's still uh, adored here in town. The outstanding Canadian in the 2013 Grey Cup. Um, so when did you make the switch to the defensive side of the ball? Uh, Pretty early on. Kind of in grade 9, grade 8. I started playing a bit of linebacker. Then I moved to D-line. Played a bit of O-line in high school as well. But then transition to full-time D-line in grade 12. So some, give me your personal season this last year with the Huskies, and we'll get into the team stuff, but sum up your season in, in one word for me. If you had to describe your season this year, Nathan Cherry, personally, what would it be? Fulfilling. Okay, why was that? Uh, it was just a long grind to get to that point. Uh, after the season got cancelled in 2020, there's a lot of off-season workouts, uh, a lot of running, and I always try and push myself the hardest I can in those and really just took advantage of I was back up for three years. So it was just a long wait, and to finally have the 
my chance to start. It was very a very fulfilling season for me, yeah. mentally and physically. Yeah, so I want to get into the mental part, but I did a top 50 Can West show. I pulled coaches, I pulled media, I, I asked some select players that I know in the league and, and got them to rank players, and you were one of the guys that they're thinking, watch for this guy. You weren't in the top 50 just yet. So to me... You came out of nowhere. Uh, just yeah, it was like it was like holy cow, this Nathan Cherry guy, he's pretty good. Is that kind of how you felt? Were you under the radar to start the year? Oh uh, yeah, oh well, for sure. I mean, you go into the season your first year as a starter, people usually have an idea. It's like, well, there's a reason he was a backup for three years. But I always knew I can play. It's just my body wasn't quite there physically. I have a good football knowledge and. I, I love the game. I study it. So I knew once I was ready to compete physically, I uh, I would go out there and do well. Okay, so uh, mentally, how, you know, we, we, we talk about mental health in so many areas in society, but how was it for you being a young dude who, like you said, you were a backup, you were grinding, but there were no games. What was that like for you? And how did you stay focused mentally and stay positive? Um, I really love football. I love the game. Even just practice, I enjoy practice. And I just being out there with your friends every day, just it makes it easy, for sure. Yeah. yeah just be, being able to be around people who you enjoy being around every day makes it easy. What was the best thing about your Vanier Cup run this year? Oh, just the, the memories with the guys, yeah. What was the best memory? What was it? Was it that semifinal win where you guys have found a way to get it done against Montreal? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's easily the best memory. <laughs> what was that like? What was that atmosphere like? Take us there, because a lot of us will never experience that. Scott Flory said he has played, your coach said, obviously he's a Hall of Famer, he has played in some pretty loud places, but he said that's got to be the loudest, or right there. Oh, yeah, I remember I was standing right beside Riley Pickett. Um, the stadium was so loud, it was deafening, and the first thing Adam punched that ball in, you could hear a pin drop, and me and Riley were on extra point. So we're sprinting to the end zone, just screaming and you could only hear me and Riley screaming and the other people on our team so it was it was unforgettable for sure do you feel like you have a pretty good chance to uh to repeat this year if everybody comes back if things go that way I know your future is a little bit in doubt but uh like if you get drafted I guess that's the first question if you get drafted Nathan Cherry do you plan to to uh go to the uh, CFL or do you have some eligibility left I, I do have one year of eligibility, but it's, you know, you kind of got to wait and see what happens. I, I can't commit to anything right now, yeah. but it's, we'll just wait and see. But for me, it's a, it's a win-win situation. I would love to play a year in the CFL. I would love to play, finish off my fifth year as a Husky. It, there's, it's a no-lose situation. Yeah, me. I'll tell you what, it makes it tough, doesn't it? Because you guys really are on the cusp. You've got If you can return some of these guys, you've got a good chance to win your league again, which I think is the toughest league in uh, Canada. Oh, yeah, for sure it is. But we have a we have a good team top to bottom. Like, Mason's just going to be another year older. Our receivers will be still a bunch of young guys stepping up. Yeah, our defense, like, we only lost one player on defense due to eligibility, so... Yeah, we'll have a good team next year. Am I off my rocker? Like, listen, uh, you got Mackert, you got Ewan Chin, who's going to join me on the show tomorrow. He's going to the East-West game. You got, you know, Perry's an emerging receiver. You got lots of good uh, players. You know, Pickett's another guy. Uh, Zer, there are a lot of good uh, household names there. But one guy that I don't think gets enough credit or gets enough love, I give it to him, almost at nauseum, some people will say, but Mason Nias. Like, I don't understand. Even the three-down nation did 
the top 10 Canadian quarterbacks, and he wasn't in the top 10. And I'm like, I thought I knew the game of football, and I think this kid's pretty good. I thought he should have been the Can West MVP this year, to be honest with you. Oh, I thought for sure he would be. But it was kind of a shocker when he wasn't. I think it's just because his game's not – it's not flashy, per se. He doesn't – he's not a huge runner. He doesn't – he's not flashy in the way he plays. He's very technically sound. He's very smart. He uh, he gets the ball out quick. So mm. he's very efficient. He's a good pocket passer. It's just – it's not flashy. It's not exciting to the eyes or some fans. But mm. I think if, if the more you know the game of football, I think the more you respect his game. Nathan Cherry, you're 6'3", you're 245. Tell fans listening to this show uh, about your game. If they've never watched you play, what's the strength of Nathan Cherry's game? Um, I think it would just be my technique and uh, my physicality. Yeah, you you like to punch somebody in the mouth, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. I spend a lot of time in the gym, so you got to use it out there on the field. I hear a lot of good things about former Regina Ram Joel Lipinski and what he's got going on out there. Is that who you work out with? Oh yeah, he's he's the goat. He's so amazing in his uh, programming. He's smart. He's he's got it down to his science, and he he's all about getting us guys in the best fit peak shape as uh, as we can be in. To get a sense on which teams liked you, Nathan, out there in uh, out east when you were at the combine, did you get a sense of how uh, how things might go for you? Um, you have some ideas, but you never really know, like. One team, they'll say they, they're going to draft you here, but you, I, I don't want to put anything out there because you don't know until until it's draft day. Yeah. Well, I know uh, John Hodge, who's a friend of the show, going to be a regular contributor now, Three Down Nation. He did a mock draft, and he had you, I think, at about 16, 17 going to the Riders. Um, you know, that would be a dream come true for a Saskatoon kid, I think, who grew up watching Friday night football. And the Riders do need a little bit of help on the D-line now, Canadian-wise. Uh, what would that mean to you, to be a rough rider? Oh, yeah, that would be a childhood dream come true. Yeah, that would be awesome. But anywhere I go, I'll just be happy to get an opportunity. I never, in my wildest dreams as a child, thought I would have even a shot at playing in the CFL. So just to have a chance is... It's awesome. Anything can happen, man. I talked about that YouTube show that I did, and you can look at it. It's up there, the top 50 YouTube show fans, if you're interested. But Josh Haggerty is a guy that I had listed at 44 last year going into the season. And, of course, he never played with you guys. And who knows if that would have been a difference pushing you over the top for the Vanier Cup because he got playing time and played for the Toronto Argonauts, which is a cool story. They call him Swaggerty now, and it's just right place, right time, so you never know, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he got drafted pretty late, and he, it just took one opportunity for him just to go out there and show what he's about, and yeah, that's that's all it takes is just an opportunity. Did you get any weird questions oh, for, in, uh, the, in the interview? Yeah, there's some weird ones. Yeah, there's definitely some weird ones. <laughs> can, can you give me one? Can you give me one that you can air? Like, was there like, what's your favorite color? What do you listen to? What t- that type uh, of stuff? The weirdest one I would say is just there'd be teams that would ask you to memorize words at the beginning of the interview, and then you, like 15 minutes would go by, and then they would ask you to repeat the words <laughs> at the end. So mm-hmm. that was, I thought it was a little odd. I didn't know what our short-term memory had to do with being a great football player, but... Yeah, you never know what goes into their. Uh, <laughs> They're thinking their, what it takes. <laughs> They're thinking, yeah. So, uh, do you feel you did? Did you feel feel you did well at the uh, in the testing portion? It's kind of it's kind yeah. of a weird, awkward situation with that testing. 
yeah, it's, it's pretty much speed dating. You go in there, you got like 10, 15 minutes just to make an impression. Just don't say anything dumb, be yourself. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you You're just checking off boxes in there. So yeah. Did yeah. you, did you yeah. feel you did well with the bench press and all the physical stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I performed to what I expected to do. Yeah. I was, I was happy with how that all went. Awesome, man. Well, uh, and you're a business student, right? Uh, am I correct there? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So what do you want to do when you grow up? Oh. Besides be a football player. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully just work at a good job and be a good person, you know? That's the main thing. That's, you got a girlfriend? I do, yeah. Oh, yeah, good. So well, she's probably hoping that you stay close to home. Hey, it'd be nice seeing Rough Rider colors, but it's going to be nice to see you in the CFL. And if not, we'll see you one more year with the U of S Huskies as you try to take that one last step and win the Vanier Cup. Thanks for your time, Nathan. It was a pleasure to meet you. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it was a great time. Pleasure to meet you, too. That's Nathan Cherry of the University of Saskatchewan Husky Saskatoon kid. I know we're a Regina station, but hey, he could be a member of the Rough Riders, and I like supporting and promoting our local athletes. We don't do enough of it. I don't care where they're from. All right, when we come back, we're going to pick six, and uh, yeah, we got lots to go on the show, including after 5 o'clock for his regular stop on the show. It's Coach Craig Dickinson. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the mighty 620 CKRM. Hey everybody, Ballsy in the big chair on this Thursday and our show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win 1 million. Time now for a thing we like to call the pick six where we break down six sports stories and we talked a bit about this yesterday but Clayton Kershaw took that perfect game through seven innings for the Dodgers on a chilly afternoon in Minnesota until he was pulled after 80 pitches, even though he was dominating the Twins with 13 strikeouts through 21 batters. It was 7-0 for the Dodgers at the time. He said after the game, those are selfish goals. We're trying to win. That's really all we're here for. His manager, Dave Roberts, did this a few years back too with Rich Hill. I'd be finding his butt right now. If I'm Major League Baseball and I'm losing interest, people are not watching like they used to. They're not coming to the games like they used to. The average age of a fan is 57 years old, and you have a manager that has done this not once but twice. I don't give a crap. And there's the other thing. These sports nerds ruin sports. Oh, he's got, he's going to be at 90 pitches. We better pull him out. Who knows how the rest of the season's going to go. Sports nerds ruin sports. I don't care what the sport is. Yeah, stats are important, but they're not the only thing. You know what stats are? Stats are for people that can't read a game. They have no feelings for storylines or excitement. That's what stats are for. By and large. Oh, he bats 295 between 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. on grass fields on Wednesdays when the sun is behind the two clouds in the northwest. Kind of stupid. Number two on the pick six. Two-time CFL All-Star running back Alvin Skip Walker has passed away at the age of 67. The native of Houston, Texas, was a star with Texas A&M and was selected in the 11th round of the 1976 NFL Draft by the Oilers. 
He signed with our Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 1980, but was traded to the Montreal Alouettes, where he played two seasons, recording 131 carries, 746 yards, and nine touchdowns. He then was traded to the Ottawa Rough Riders ahead of the 82 season, had a breakout year, ran for 1,141 yards and 13 touchdowns, caught another 28 balls for 536 and five touchdowns, and was named a CFL All-Star for the first time. But it really was in 1983 that the 5'9", 195-pound ball carrier came into his own. He rushed for 1,431 yards and was named a CFL All-Star for a second consecutive year. His single-season club rushing record stood until 1991 when Reggie Barnes rushed for 1,486. Should be noted that uh, he had two extra games because the CFL had to move to an 18-game season in 1986. So rest in peace, Skip Walker. With uh, his death goes a bit of my childhood. And you could see why the Rough Riders weren't very good in the late 70s, early 80s when they trade away a stud like Elvin Skip Walker. Number three on the pick six. Rich people will spend money on anything. That's why those upscale markets will charge $5 for a single tomato. So this really isn't surprising. There's a 33-year-old woman in New York named Taylor Humphrey who calls herself a professional baby namer. And she charges up the 10 grand American just to name your kid. Taylor doesn't have any kids herself. She describes herself as a passionate writer and storyteller who's adept at branding, marketing, and social media. So you're gonna let her name your kid for 10 grand. Uh, she's also worked, by the way, as a matchmaker in the past, but she's working in the baby naming business since 2015 and has a range of fees. That brings me to a couple of things. Uh, here are some of the great sports names of all time. How about former Royals first base coach, Rusty Koontz. Old school minor league pitcher named Steve Schartz. <laughs> uh, race car driver Dick Trickle. WNBA player Dawana Bonner. Now it's spelled B-O-N-N-E-R. So you could have a slip where you say Dawana Boner, right? Former Reds manager, and this is true, Dick Sizzler. I'd probably go with Richard myself, but he, on his baseball card, had Dick Sizzler. Former WHA defenseman, Dick Paradise. By the way, that's a great Tinder name, Dick Paradise. Basketball player with the Philadelphia Kings back in the day, Chubby Cox. Now, I looked around. I don't know. Maybe I couldn't find it on the old Google machine, but I didn't see, like, you know, um, Stan Chubby Cox or Scott Chubby Cox. I just found Chubby Cox, C-O-X. Of course, the old hockey names, Nikolai Habibulin and Kelly Buckberger. And these are great baby names that I'm going to give you for free. I'm not going to charge you 10 grand. No, these are the sports cage baby names we're giving you for free. Meta, Endemic, Pandemic, or maybe you can call her Pamdemic. Get it? Pamdemic. Omicron XE. Ivermectin. That'd be a great name. Hi. You're Ivan? No, Ivermectin. <laughs> uh, Wordle. And here's a great baby name that you can have for free from Ballsy here at the Sports Cage. Worked out well, especially at the Oscars. Alopecia. That's what Chris Rock should name his next kid. Maybe he's a little too old to have a kid, but he should make one of his grandkids named Alopecia, don't you think? 
Number four on the pick six, as our friend Bob Stoffer from the Oilers Radio Network pointed out, and I totally agree as it relates to Evander Kane. Has there been a better acquisition this year? For sure, mid-season acquisition, I can't think of a better one, but just in general, this guy has played in 34 games. He's got 16 goals, 13 assists, 29 points, three power play goals, two shorthanded goals. He's plus 17, and his total ice time a game is 19 minutes and 40 seconds. And there's one player in the NHL who has scored 280-plus goals in his career and stepped up and fought both Ryan Reeves and Zdeno Chara in the last few seasons. It's Evander Kane. Now, buyer beware. He's in a contract year, and he's proven time and time again when he gets the bag of money, he goes off the rails. But I, I think the Oilers have to sign him. And Ryan Hartman was already a fan favorite across the hockey state of Minnesota, but the Wilds first-line center's popularity soared to new heights on Tuesday when he jumped to his star linemate Kirill Kaprizov's defense, then directed a middle finger at Evander Kane. The league made Hartman pay for his gesture, saying that Kane was number one, finding him 4250 bucks, something Hartman expected and said would be well worth it. He did score two goals in that game in a 5-1 route of the Oilers. But fans started a GoFundMe page and paid it off, and not just Wild fans. Blues fans and Golden Knight fans donated too. One of the donations came from Kane's ex-wife who donated 200 bucks to the cause. <laughs> what a messy split that is. I did this once. Uh, we did it here at the Wolf when Scott Schultz was fined by the CFL and uh, we uh, quickly took care of his $250 fine like 10 times over and uh, gave the money to charity. That was awesome. Number five on the pick six. Now, I'm not sure what they're drinking over at the Pat's office, but whatever it is, I want some. Tomorrow on Good Friday, they've guaranteed a win against the ice, or you get a free ticket to a game next season. The last time the ice played here, they pounded Regina 7-0. And the Pats should have some juice as they are two points out with three to play, and all the games are at the Brandt Center. The two against the ice, and one versus their hated rivals, the Moose Jaw Warriors. Now, besides the guarantee, you should go to Friday's game and see if Connor Bedard can score his 50th. If he does, he'll be the youngest player in league history to do it. Plus, we could be watching the last three games in the nice WHL career of their great captain, Logan Nyhoff. And number six on the pick six, we'll talk NFL quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield turns 27 today. Now, he'll probably get gift cards to bed, bath, and beyond inaccurate. <laughs> 27, hey, coincidentally, that's his quarterback rating from last year. But the dude had an injured shoulder. He tried to fight through it. I really do hope, all joking aside, he lands on his feet somewhere and has a chance to prove the Cleveland Browns wrong. I mean, a lot of people have proven the Cleveland Browns wrong. I'm hoping he's one of them. I still can't believe they gave $230 million guaranteed dollars to Deshaun Watson. Like, if you... If you didn't have any evidence the Cleveland Browns were a gong show before, and I know you did have evidence, that is exhibit number A, B, C, D, E, F. Crazy. Speaking of quarterbacks and deals, Raiders quarterback Derek Carr signed a three-year extension worth $121.5 million with the Hades. Now, initially, I'm like, ooh, $40 million is more than I'd ever want to pay, but... It's like house prices now. You pay the going rate, and that's the going rate for a starting quarterback. Quarterbacks and wide receivers getting the money in the NFL. 
And you know what? When you sit back and think about it, in this landscape, he's worth it. Last year, his biggest deep threat in Henry Ruggs was done early after drinking and driving and killing a woman. His coach, John Gruden, with his stupidity, uh, got punted early. His best offensive weapon, tight end Darren Waller, was hobbled by injury most of the year. And Carr still willed the Raiders to the playoffs, where they almost beat the eventual AFC champion Bengals. Carr is the most disrespected elite quarterback in the NFL, and it's not close. I'd go Mahomes, Rodgers, Allen, Brady, Herbert, Burrow, Wilson, Carr, Stafford, and Ryan in that order for top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, you could make a case for Lamar Jackson, Watson, and Murray as the next three, and you could maybe throw Cousins in there, and depending on how you read the numbers and uh, your uh, goggles of the particular team you cheer for, uh, you know, you put those on, and then maybe you can slide one of those other guys into the top 10, but I'm pretty confident in that top 10 that I picked. And the extra point, Usain Bolt says Mario Kart helped him become an Olympic champion. What? Wait a minute. If that's true, my son should have more medals than Michael freaking Phelps. We'll have more of the sports cage coming up for spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. I love it. One of the best arena songs out there. That and probably Welcome to the Jungle. That from Metallica. Of course, we're a country music station here. You gotta love country music too, but there's nothing like uh, rock and roll to get you jazzed up for a sporting event. Yesterday, Vlad the Impaler. Dude got his hand stepped on on a first base play. Uh, Then he went on to hit three home runs. Vladdy Guerrero as the Jays beat the Yankees 6-4. He is our sports cage clutch performance of the night. And uh, here's how some of it sounded. Ground ball. Grabbed there by Bichette from his backside. Fires. Not in time. He caught the ball in plenty of time. And a lot of the infielders, as he's sliding, you want to kind of catch a foot to pop up. But you see it's a little wet. He kept sliding. Had no balance. Ooh. At the end of this play, it looked like Guerrero got stepped on right there. Yes, he Not did. Not good. Drilled deep to left field. See ya. A two-run home run. An absolute blast into the Blue Jay bullpen. And it's 3-0 Toronto. Right, we needed a replay for his first one. There was no replay needed for this one. This is an absolute missile. 427-foot line drive. Yeah, so Guerrero would go on to hit a third home run. Jays win it 6-4. to four. Right now, they're in a rain delay in New York. They're supposed to finish off this uh, set. Jays have won 2-3, of three, winning 3 nothing, losing 4 nothing, winning 6-4. So stay tuned. I see him getting interviewed, or TV in here, by Hazel May in the Jays' dugout with uh, Charlie Montoyo, the manager. So uh, stay tuned there. We'll keep you updated. Elsewhere in the world of sports, we want to tell you that the Pats host the ice for two straight games here tomorrow and Saturday. Pats have a guaranteed win tomorrow against the ice. So if they don't win, you get a free ticket to any game next year in the regular season 
with uh, some restrictions due to uh, availability of tickets. But if you can't get to one game, you can go to the other game. Uh, there are lots to get to, right, in a 68-game uh, schedule, 34 at home. Pats are two points out with three to play, and Connor Bedard is one goal away from getting 50, and if he does so, he'll be the uh, youngest player ever to do it. As we heard earlier from Edmonton Oilers, color commentator Bob Stoffer, he's in Nashville with the Oilers, one of 12 games tonight. Arizona at Vancouver, Vegas at Calgary, Washington in Toronto and Ottawa at uh, Boston. Hey, back to the majors. Teoscar Hernandez is headed to the 10-game injured list after suffering a left oblique strain in that win over the Yankees. So uh, he's out. Um, it's one thing I don't like about baseball, man. They're not... I know they play a lot of games. You have to have endurance. And I know kind of they're like Ferraris. If there's a, something a little off, they're not running right. But it's... Man, it's kind of kind of a weak-ass sport. They have guys that aren't very tough, let's be honest. The average salary in the majors rebounded to $4.4 million on opening day, boosted by a frenzy of free agent signings before and after the 99-day lockout. It's up 5.9%. We were talking about NFL quarterbacks. Apparently, the Cardinals have not offered a contract to Kyler Murray, their quarterback. Uh, weeks ago, his agent, according to Tom Pelissero, pulled... The opening proposal off the table, so it's not exactly uh, calm waters there in Arizona between ownership and the quarterback. Meantime, receiver A.J. Green has re-signed with the Cardinals. Geno Smith, quarterback, has re-signed in Seattle. What a combo that is. Geno Smith and Drew Locke. Yuck. It's got to be Baker Mayfield. I talked about him earlier. It's his birthday today. He's an upgrade. I'm not saying he's great, but he's better than that combo. And, And the Browns are stuck. They owe Mayfield $18.8 million for 2022, fully guaranteed. Now, if they can't find a trade partner, their options become keeping him on the roster for the, for the full season, which is awkward, or cutting him. <clears throat> now, if they cut him, he could sign with any team for a minimum salary of $1.035 million, with the Browns picking up the balance. The Seahawks, he said they've got Geno and Drew Locke. Yuck. If they want Mayfield... They know the Browns are stuck. The Seahawks can tell the Browns that we'll only pay $1.035 million and the Browns will pay the rest, and the Browns will have to give the Seahawks or, or uh, get the Seahawks a low-round pick, you know, to complete the transaction. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to cut him and get nothing? So he's going to end up in Seattle. He has to end up in Seattle. Your Rough Riders have signed American wide receiver Jacob Prawl. Prawl is 6 feet, 190 pounds. Spent four seasons at Brown University from 2016 to 2019. Became one of the Bears' top receivers. The Ohio native played in 40 games over his four seasons, earning 130 receptions for 1,627 yards, six touchdowns, and a 12.5-yard average per catch so uh we'll maybe ask coach dickinson about that he'll be joining us just after the five o'clock news for his weekly hit and as part of uh leger marketing surveys their 25th edition of their annual reputation study they unveiled the list of the most reputable pro sports teams in canada in 2022 according to canadians now in 2022 pro sports teams were added to their study for the first time and like many other sectors in canada uh, pro sports teams were heavily impacted by the pandemic Many played entire seasons without fans present or with minimal fans due to social distancing regulations. Um, Now, the 2022 reputation study from Leger Marketing revealed that the teams with the highest awareness didn't necessarily have the highest reputation scores. And uh, here's how it shook down. 
The riders weren't on it. Now, once again, we said awareness versus reputation. Um, the Raptors were number one. Their reputation score 59. The Blue Jays, number 257. Now, I want to know exactly where they interviewed these people, but the Jets came in three. The top Canadian Football League team was the Montreal Alouettes at 51, which is weird because their ownership group is new. Calgary Stampeders came in five. Second best Canadian Football League team with your reputation score of 50. And the other Canadian Football League team, much to the chagrin of Ryder fans, would be the Bombers at 45. Once again, this is reputation, not Awareness. So uh, reputation has become the benchmark for measuring corporate reputation in Canada and monitoring how it changes over time. This year they surveyed more than 38,000 Canadians to explore their perspectives on more than 285 companies in 30 different sectors and for the first time included pro sports teams. So three Canadian Football League, uh, League teams make the list. The Owls, the Stamps, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Reputation, not awareness. I'd like to maybe get them on and do a little deeper dive into that. Maybe we'll endeavor to do that early next week. Uh, coming up on the sports cage, we got the coach, Craig Dickinson. He will join us after 5 o'clock. we got some good questions for him lined up. If you have any questions, you can text me at uh, 936-6262. It's our text line powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, the number one GM dealership in the province. Uh, Glenn Suter after 5.30. And before the show's done, Arash Madani and Pat's coach Brad Haroff will ask him how he feels about a guaranteed win night against the Winnipeg Ice. This is the Sports Cage, presented by Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. On Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. And welcome to the show on this Thursday Looks like Snowmageddon's at the end of the line, hopefully, and we can call it white rain, it'll melt, and we can get on with things, because we got football season to talk about. Training camp not that far away. Riders will have an announcement with regards to that. Next week, our show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM, and they'll match your first deposit of $25 to $250. Dollars at spreads.ca. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline, dinner time, game time, anytime. It's a great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza location about their specials. And on the hotline is our friend Craig Dickinson, who joins us on a weekly basis. We're eventually going to call this the Craig Dickinson Show. Not the whole show, but this portion, uh, portion of the show. And we're very happy to be joined by him. Now, they say, Coach Dickey, that by the time you're 11, you know what your favorite candy is. What's your favorite candy? Are you a sweet tooth guy? Yeah, I have uh, I have a real big sweet tooth. And I got a couple people listening right now, Michael, that can vouch for me. My parents in Great Falls, Montana, are listening to your show as we speak. So they told me, make sure you be careful what you say because we're listening. Oh, good. Okay. So, uh, what? What uh, did you guys color Easter eggs back in the Dickinson house? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. We did. You know, my my dad had a thing he brought from Butte, Montana. He called it. Uh, it was onion skin Easter egg. So we'd wrap the Easter egg with onion skins, and then he'd boil it, and it'd come out in all these neat colors. So yeah, we. We did quite a bit of that, and and we have sweet we have sweet tooth at, at the Dickinson house. So my favorite candy to answer your question probably would be a Twix bar 
Oh, score bar. Twi- Twix. I like Twix. Not a big score guy, but Twix is an underrated bar. There's no doubt about that. That is, I put that. I put that right in the category with the Mirage Bar. Now the big question is, rewinding, Coach. You got me started here now, and the parents are listening. Uh, were you and Were you and uh, Dave pretty competitive at the table in terms of uh, decorating the eggs? You know, we weren't. I think my dad was more excited about decorating the eggs than David and I, uh, and he'll admit to that. But we were competitive, but in uh, in other areas besides eating food. Eating food, there was one king in the house, and his name was Bob Dickinson. Okay, there you go. So uh, what's your best trait as a head coach, do you feel? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. I, I think one of, one of my best traits is I tend to be um, – even keel, and I think you, I handle stress probably about the same as I handle um, success. So I think the ability to kind of stay even keel and not get too high or too low, I think, has helped me in coaching. Okay, don't take the easy way out here. Then who uh, who did you get that trait from, mom or dad? Since they're listening dad, right now, dad, dad again, poor poor mom. She gave me a lot of good traits, but definitely the even keel. Um, don't get too high, too low. That's probably for my dad. Your mom give you your kindness because you're a pretty kind guy. Yeah, my mom did, and my mom's very, very intellectual. Like she's very intelligent. Uh, I didn't get her brains; I got some of them. But uh, <laughs> she's very intelligent and uh, and very thoughtful. Um, does really a nice job of of analyzing things and and uh, is able to see all viewpoints and really make make a kind. Um, thoughtful decisions. So I think I get that from my mom, um, probably as, as well as my dad, but my mom mainly. Okay, good. So I think we earned the brownie points now with your parents listening, yeah. and so that's good. Yeah. We, can, we can move on now. That's good. We, yeah, we, we can move on. We got them in the fan uh, in the fan bank here. Okay, so um, what's your philosophy on bringing quarterbacks to camp? Like, how many is too many? I look. I don't want you to necessarily comment on another team, but I look at your old coaching colleague, Chris Jones. He's got seven guys coming to camp. To me, that's almost too many. What's your philosophy on bringing quarterbacks to camp? Yeah. Uh, I would imagine Coach Jones is probably going to turn that number into five by the time rookie camp's down, maybe even four. So he's going to he's going to cut it down at some point. My philosophy on this, Michael, is is twofold. If you've got a true veteran, you know, established guy like Cody, or even for a better example, like a Bo Levi, who's been in the league a long time, you might be more inclined to bring an extra quarterback just because. You don't want to wear Bo Levi out. He doesn't need the reps. But if you've got a young quarterback room, which we have, I think I think any more than four is too many. I think three is not enough. I think five is too many. I think I think four is about the right number, um, with the exception of possibly bringing in a U Sports kid for that fifth spot, giving them some reps and trying to develop them. But if you have any more than four quarterbacks, the, the reality is they're not going to get enough reps. To, to really prove whether they can or cannot do the job. So I think the perfect number is four. allows you enough arms to, to get all the receivers the work they need, but uh, but doesn't doesn't you don't have too many to the point where you can't really evaluate mm. because you only have so many practices in, in two preseason games. And it would sure be nice to actually get back to a regular training camp and a regular preseason. I had Cody on earlier this week, and I, you know, I think the and he admitted it too, I think the year off 
hurt Cody more than he probably thought it was going to. I don't know if you thought it would, but I think it hurt him more than he thought it was going to. Like, it doesn't hurt maybe the Bo Levi Mitchells and the Zach Kolaris's and those guys that have played in the league more. He's just going in. He was just going into his second year as a starter, and he's going in with a new offensive coordinator. And it's one thing to meet virtually, but it's totally different when you're going through a regular offseason. So I'm really, actually, after talking to him, I'm pretty excited to see how he can do what he can do in in year three. Yeah, I agree. I, that year off, I think, hurt guys across the board probably more than they realize. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to be able to train and stay fit and, you know, continue to, to uh, work on your athleticism. But quarterback is the toughest position to play on the field. There's so much chemistry involved between quarterbacks, receivers. There's so much timing that I do believe it really did, did hurt uh, hurt their games, and I think it, it hurt the offensive game more than anything. And that's the one thing in the league meetings we were at at the Combine a, a month ago, we talked a lot about ways to improve scoring and stuff. And, and what we came up with in, in the in the big picture is, hey, let's just let's just consider last year kind of a wash. Mm-hmm. And let's see how we do this year with a full off season and not you know not a year off. And I, I think you're going to see offenses improve as a result. You know, it's a good point, Coach, because uh, Craig, or, uh, Glenn Suter's coming on after at 5.30, and he did a little research, and uh, I'll give him credit for this, because I know he's listening. He always does before he comes on. Last year, I think, was the first year in a 10-year span where the NFL... Um, outscored the CFL. Like, generally, the CFL is averaging like 50 points a game. The NFL finally got the 50, and the CFL didn't. It was something ridiculous like that. First time in 10 years. So I think you're right. It's probably a one-off. And we're also in a we're also in a time, Coach, where you have a couple of guys like Bo Levi Mitchell, Zach Kalaros, a couple of those guys, but... You know, back in the day it was, you had three, four, five, the Durants, the Calvillos, the Rays, and then, you know, you know, you have a couple of young guys coming in, but now there's almost like six of the nine quarterbacks are trying to find their footing as starters. Yeah, and I think everything, things are cyclical, and uh, I think you're, you saw a little downturn on offense a year ago. I think you're going to see it pick up this year, and you're right. It's just a time when the NFL, let's be honest, the NFL's got some very dynamic, explosive quarterbacks right now and offenses that can really fly. And, uh, you know, they're going to have the same thing. They'll go through a downturn also in a few years. So, I mean, I really think last year was a one-off for us. I still think we have a great game. And I think you're going to see more offense, more scoring, and uh, in higher higher scoring ball games this year. I really do. What is your mentality, though, going into camp with Cody? Like, do you want... Like, how will you manage him in training camp in the preseason? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he had a great year. He kind of, he didn't have a terrible year. It was just, it was just, I would say, just an average year. But you got to find somebody that's behind him. You got to find that insurance policy behind him. So do you focus more on that, knowing what you have in Cody, or how does that work? Yeah, we're going to give Cody a lot of work. There's there's no question, because he's still young. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 30 years old. He's going into his third year as a starter. So he's going to get... A, a large percentage of the work, but we do have to find our number two. And so that first preseason game, Michael, being so early in camp, we're, we're basically training camp starts and a week later we're playing a preseason game. That first preseason game, at least going in, my thought is we're going to give give the young guys most of the work in that first preseason game and then give Cody probably a little bit more in that second game. I, I really think it's important that 
Cody has good practices, develops some chemistry with with uh, who we consider the starting group. You know, obviously there's competition, so that changes. But that first preseason game is going to be more. You're going to see more young guys playing in that. In the second game, you're going to see us playing more of our guys that we anticipate making our team. Coach, um, does that help you out having having a preseason game right away in training camp? Because you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, we're banging heads with the same guy, gets monotonous. It might be easier on you as a coach to go right into a game uh, because you won't have to fire the guys up. It's like they're on a treadmill. It's turned up to ten. Let's go. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. I mean. All of us as coaches go, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get all this in in seven days? And the answer is you don't get it all in. So it could be a little bit sloppy. There might be some situations that we haven't been able to cover. But I think that having a, a preseason game early is, a, is an advantage, and it gives us a chance to get a pretty good feel for who we got early on. And I think it gives the young players a chance to really stand out because some guys are better in practice, and then they don't show up in games, and some guys are just okay in practice, and then you turn the lights on and they do show up. So mm-hmm. I think having the preseason game early is going to help us. I'll tell you what, Coach, and we've talked about this before. If you're a, an American coming here and you don't know the game, you – oh, my goodness. That is the t- That might be the toughest team to make in pro sports is a CFL team as an American coming up here learning the game because you don't have a lot you don't have four preseason games you don't have three you got two and in some cases one because you got to make some cut downs yeah I think it's tough as heck I I've mentioned that to guys before that I think coming up as an American trying to win a job might be harder to win a job in the CFL than it is in the NFL because we're not going to keep an average American receiver we're not going to keep just an okay American D lineman, like you got to be a stud, and you got to be a guy that we see starting. Or if you're not starting, you're you're pushing to start very soon. So, yeah, you're right. The challenges of trying to break into the American spot because there's only you know 20 of them or 21 of them, um, and the challenge of learning basically a new game all in a couple of weeks. Um, it's a it's a tough road to hoe and a tough thing to do. No. Uh, if I can keep you around for one more quick segment, uh, segment, I'd, I'd like to do that because i got a couple more questions, but I'm going to ask you one more before we go to break. We talked about this yesterday, uh, last year, and so I'll ask the same question. Maybe it changes year to year, but you guys have gone through the roster, through the draft, through all this, so you know this roster like a fine-tooth comb. Would I be right in saying, because of a you know, training camp, two preseason games, you know about 75% of your roster already. Like, you're just going to find a few positions, maybe some linemen, maybe what we got for DBs, and, of course, our number two quarterback. Like, you know pretty well what your roster is. Yeah, you do. I mean, you want you want to make sure that guys know it's a, a competition. You don't want to come out and say that we basically know who our starters are. But the reality is the veteran players have a leg up, and that's why you re-sign them. And so – you're bringing in competition to push those veteran players, and if you find better than them, then then you've done a real good job in terms of building building your roster. If you don't, you want to at least find the next guy, the backups, the guys that give you some depth on special teams. So to answer your question, Michael, you do know, for the most part, who you anticipate dressing on opening day, but that's the fun thing about training camp is guys will come in and surprise you, both good, as in, wow, this guy's a lot better than we expected. Maybe he is going to be a guy that we start in a certain position, or a veteran comes back and doesn't look like the same guy they were a year ago, and then you've got to move on. 
Mm-hmm. All right, Coach Dickinson will hang around for a few more questions, uh, and we'll be back with the coach. I know his parents are listening, and you are too. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the mighty 620 CKRM. This is your source for sports, 620 CKRM. A reminder, we'll be here tomorrow. Not a best of show, an actual show. Yours truly in the chair on a uh, good Friday. And it is a good Friday because the snow will start melting and we're headed towards another CFL season, a Rough Rider training camp right around the corner. They've got some information on that coming next week. The coach here, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Craig Dickinson. I was sitting with your president the other day. I said, I want this. I'm telling you right now, I'm not this guy's agent, but we need to keep him here for another 10 years. And he he smiled and laughed and said he is the face of our team. How um how much of a how do you how much like how proud are you of that and you know how much of a responsibility is that to kind of be like a, a Saskatchewanian now like you're the face of this football team? Well, it's it's a real honor to be perfectly frank about it and, and something I didn't anticipate doing. You know, I feel very fortunate. Um, I was lucky enough to just get a chance to coach football in the CFL and I ended up eventually making my way to Saskatchewan and realized what a special place it is and I don't want to be anywhere else and I think being the, the head coach for Canada's team in my opinion is, is is something you know you can only dream about and I, I just feel a, a real sense of honor and with with that honor you, you feel a responsibility to do the absolute best job you can because uh, you don't want to let people down and that that's kind of my philosophy Michael when I coach is I want I want to give the players kind of that same sort of feeling I get when I talk about coaching for the Rough Riders. It's a, a sense of love and honor and, and, and really feeling like you're really special and you really got something good going on. And I, I hope to do the same thing to the players and have them play their very best because they don't want to let the team down, the coaches down, or the or the province down because it's really a neat place. My first memory of you is rolling in. I was doing a post-game show down in the bowels of old Taylor Field and you'd walk through and go into the the little crappy little weight room there, do some flies and stuff, and a quick little workout after the, you know to break down after the game. And now you're the head coach. At any point though, did you say, uh, I don't know, if, like in your mind mentally after you got the job, like I don't really know if I want to be the head coach. Did it? Did that ever enter your mind? Like I'm not saying effort wise. I'm just talking because you got other things going. You don't eat, live, and breathe football. You know, I I. Uh... No, I have never felt that way. You know, from the very from the very moment I, I made up my mind, you know, I'm interested. Jeremy called, you know, O'Day and said, are you interested in the job? We'd like to interview you. Um, I thought about it a little bit. But once I decided to, to uh, go for it, I was all in. And, you know, I learned that from my, my parents also, that when you make a decision and you do something, then you do it all the way. And that's, that's the one thing. Once I decided I wanted the job, then I was all in and I, I want to do the best job I possibly can. And then when, when it's over, it's over. And I can look back and say, you know, we did a good job there. And 
we did some things that we can be proud of. So, no, once I decided, Michael, I was in, I was in 100%. All right, let's talk about, that's great to hear. Let's talk about, like I said, 10 more years, buddy. 10 more years at least. Um, Mike Adam, let's talk about that glue guy back in the secondary because my next guest, Glenn Suter, is very high on him. Last year, he had him penciled in at the start of the year as a as an all-star. Of course, Adam got hurt. But if he could stay healthy, he's going to be a big key for you guys back there. I like him. He's kind of like a Swiss army knife. You can play him all over the field. Yeah, he's really smart. You know, that's the one thing. And he's physical, you know. He's a guy that's been around quite a while, seen it and done it, but he's not, you know, he's not that old. He's still got quite a bit of gas in the tank, as, as I say. So he's a glue guy. You know, losing him last year really hurt, I felt, our secondary. But um, Mike's, Mike's a big part of what we do back there. He's the captain, really, of that back end. He's the coach on the field, and, and having him back there, directing traffic I think makes us a lot better team you know I'm really interested and intrigued to see what Taron Vaughn does he had the injury shoulder injury I believe and didn't play but I I think he came in probably not in Taron Vaughn like shape and maybe he falls into the category of guys just you're working out at home it's not the same as working out with a trainer or a trainer or a CFL trainer or in a CFL setup Uh, I'm really interested he uh, could be a it's like getting a free agent, even though he was on your roster. Yeah, you know, losing him hurt last year, and we one thing we've we've uh, discussed as a staff and as an organization is we got we got to get better at tackle, and uh, I think I think Darren Vaughn can help us a lot. He's he's got experience in the legs, so he understands the game. He's very strong. He's got a little bit of nasty in him, so he plays plays on edge a little bit, which is what you want on, on an offensive lineman. And uh, he's been working really hard on his shoulder. So hopefully he comes back 100%. We've uh, visited with him a couple of times already this offseason. And I know he's very motivated um, to come back and have a great year. So him him being back in the fold is, is really a good thing. What about these two U of S guys you spent high capital on? Uh, Lacombo obviously came in highly touted. We probably we were looking for him to play last year, had the Achilles injury early. And then Matlin Riley on the offensive line. What can you uh, say about those two guys? Well, the combo's coming off the Achilles, and you know we'll have to see how he does. You know, I know I know this. His rehab's going well, but it isn't ahead of schedule. We'd, we'd hope he'd be a little further along, but we think he's going to be full goal for camp. We're not worried about that. And he's a guy we got real high hopes for. He's got tremendous athleticism, and he's very versatile. He can play across the board. Um, so we're very excited about about him coming coming back to camp and getting going. Matlin Riley, I don't, you know, there's not a lot to say because we haven't seen a lot from him. Yeah, um, but he's a guy. He's a guy we felt felt good about. That's why we drafted him as high as we did. You know, it's it's really time to time to kind of come out and, and show what you can do as far as he's concerned. You know, he's had a year in the system. It's two years plus since his draft year. It's a chance for him to. Show us what what uh, what he can do, and, and show us what kind of player he can be. We kind of touched on it a, a couple of weeks ago, but I want to maybe go a little bit deeper here with a couple more of these Saskatchewan kids, and then I'll let you go. You're coming up in the draft now, obviously not going to tip your hand, and Jeremy factors in, but you're in the decision making process. But what would you what did you see from Noah Zur, the big Yorkton area kid, U of S Husky guy? A lot of people are saying he looks uh, CFL ready, like he's the most CFL ready offensive lineman what did what did you see from him what did you like from him at the combine i thought he looks really good at the combine michael i mean he's big like really big and and, and even in a room full of big dudes he stands out 
And I thought he moved well at the combine. I mean, he wasn't as strong as I'd hoped. I don't remember what he repped out, but it was enough. You know, it wasn't 30, but it wasn't 10 either. You know, it was somewhere around 18 to 20. Um, and I do think I do think he's got a little bit of mean streak in him. You know, in the one-on-one drills, he was very physical. He had a couple of reps against some good defensive linemen, and, and he won them. And then, and then on the way out, he gave him a little extra, which, mm-hmm. again, I, I like. That's my philosophy. I've always felt like your best teams – have very good offensive lines and they're a little bit nasty and I think Noah Noah checks those boxes. So I think he's a first round pick. I think he'll be gone early in this draft. Yes, uh he a lot of people have him going 7 to you so we'll have to see how that uh, goes. Uh another guy I want to talk about and by the way you are right he is big 67330 yeah. so he is a big boy. He hasn't missed too many meals. And what I like about him is his he really worked on his footwork in the off season and uh that got uh that got him through last year very very well including against Western where that Deontay Knight went up against him in the Vanier Cup and didn't get to the quarterback. He all won every rep that I watched. Uh and one other guy I want to touch on Nathan Cherry just had him on the show here from Saskatoon, U of S kid, 6'3, 245 D lineman. I know you guys lost Matt, you guys lost Mac Henry to Edmonton. Uh, you know, maybe that might be an area you look to bolster. Uh, what do you remember from what you saw of uh, Nathan Cherry? Cherry impressed as well. You know, he's he's a strong kid. I think he repped about 27 on the bench. Um, pretty athletic, you know, does a pretty good job of moving around. Um, and and he just got he just got a high motor. That's the one thing you could see on film, and that's the one thing that showed up at the combine. Michael is the guy's got a very high motor, plays hard, loves football. Um, you know, and it, it's it's pretty obvious why Coach Flory had those those guys had the Huskies in the championship game. They got good football players. He's done a good job of recruiting, mm-hmm. and they got three or four guys that are going to get drafted this year, I think, and, and play in the CFL. Yeah, and lastly, you get a Regina kid in here. Ryder Varga's a guy that I know uh, you guys have an interest in, but it, it may affect how you go with him because he is going back to school to finish his school, and you can respect that. But just your thoughts on a Ryder Varga. I wouldn't say he's flashy, but he's solid. He could be a good special teams guy. Yeah, he, he, did, he didn't hurt himself at the combine. I'll say that, you know. We all know he's going back to school, and it's it's a decision he made. I know he's close to getting his engineering degree, and we can respect that. But uh, on top, um, besides that, I mean, the guy showed well at the combine. He was a little more athletic than I anticipated. You know, from watching the film to seeing him in person, he moves better than I expected, and he's got some size and length. So everything we've heard about him is good. His coaches have nothing but good things to say about him, character-wise. So. He's he's a good football player and he'll um he'll be going somewhere on draft day as well. He's, it, he's not gonna be sitting around too long. It's interesting, right, coach? Because you're seeing okay, well he bent this guy bench pressed eighteen to twenty, or this guy didn't look so good in his forty, but then when they get on one on ones and field work, it's a little because you know I think of a guy like a Jason Claremont. He never blew anybody's doors off speed-wise, but I never saw Jason Claremont not catch up to a football in a game, right? So it's kind of it's a slippery slope when you're comparing testing results to what a guy can do on the field. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the test the tests are important, I think, Michael, to just make sure they can compete athletically. You know, you, you, the difference between elite testers and very good testers on a football field could be could be nothing. But you want to make sure, as far as the testing that they can run well enough, that they're long enough, that they have enough explosion through the jumps. You know, you measure the broad jump and the vertical. 
that they can compete. And then once you figure out their, you know, their testing is at a level where they can compete, then you just get rid of that. Then you then you look, turn on the film, and you watch them as football players. So mm-hmm. I think the testing has merits, but it's mainly just are they athletic enough to compete? They're not going to just get run past. Once you figure out that they're athletic enough to compete, then you just turn on the film because that's that's really what what you want to base your evaluation on is the film. Coach, thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Happy Easter to you and your family. And next time I see a Twix bar on me, okay? Okay. Thanks, Michael. Take appreciate care. you having me. Take care, man. That is the coach of your Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Craig Dickinson, for his weekly chat, the Craig Dickinson Show. When we come back, get into a little action with Glenn Suter. Always like that chat. He'll be up next. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. And welcome back to the show. Brought to you by Spreads.ca. They'll match your first deposit of $25 to $250 when you sign up using the code CKRM. All right, uh, I've got an update here. Got a jackknife semi at Highway 46 by Belgoni. Very messy roads, thanks to our producer, Colton Colton Schultz, who took a phone call. If you have any other updates, please give us a call, 936-6262. But it is time to head out in the Western Pizza Hotline. And whenever we have Glenn Suter on, it's brought to you by Quality Tire with 10 locations across Saskatchewan. QualityTire.ca. You know, I... um, I look at some of the coaching staffs in the league, Glenn, and uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats just re-upped. Tommy Condell made him a uh, an assistant head coach. You've got uh, Mark Washington there as their assistant head coach. And then, of course, Orlando Steinauer. you got um, Buck Pierce, Richie Hall, and, of course, the head coach Mike O'Shea. And then the other one, I, I think these would be the top three. Put them in a blender. I mean, I think Dave Dickinson might be the best head coach in the in the CFL but you know you got Craig you got his two coordinators Shivers and Jason Moss with Jeremy O'Day like those three organizations Winnipeg Saskatchewan Hamilton you could put them in a blender and make a case for either one of them being uh pretty good in those in those categories right there yeah I, I don't disagree at all I mean you you look at the Dickinson brothers I think they have just um you know built a solid reputation where players are you know, just ecstatic as free agents to sign there or with, with either of those head coaches. I think Coach Steinhauer is is doing the same thing out east and is, is sort of building the reputation where it's people first, players second, and that, you know, he is he is going to at times have to give players bad news. That's That's part of the gig. But there's a way to do it professionally. There's a way to do it where you, you know, are – behind closed doors talking to players treating them again you know like like people first and when you do that and i think those guys are leaders in that regard then you then you have the respect of your players we as players you always know you could get bad news that you might not make the team it's as simple as that that's that's the that's the reality of pro sports but you know there's different ways to be able to pass down that news and sometimes it gets pretty messy, and, and that's where kind of coaches lose respect um, 
you know, over time. But I, I think the coaching staffs right now in the CFL, Michael, are fantastic. I mean, outstanding guys. And that's what I mean about when they sit in rules committee. A lot of those guys will sit in the rules committee, talk about different rules. By the way, I just thought of it. I need an extension on my top five Canadians. Let's okay. go next week. Yeah, no, that's fine. Because <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I didn't remember until he just told me. So that's good. Okay, you can, good. You can, hold, right. you can hold it. No, that's good. And you, you should take some time to, to think about that. I wanted to ask you, though. You just uh, you just described, uh, you know, what, what a good coach is. In your description there, which one of mm-hmm. your coach did coaches did that the best? Gregory, Matthews, like who is the guy that – that you just described, uh, you know, as far as your coaches go? Yeah, Don Matthews had a a way of, um, you know, always having you on edge, feeling like you may lose your job, that your job could, you could be replaced immediately, but yet giving you the confidence to uh, play openly and freely, like just to go ahead and not worry about making a mistake. He had a, uh, just a magical way of doing that. I I can't even really describe um, any particular method or technique that he used. It was just his personality and how he would pump you up like you felt like you were the best, like from in my case, the best safety in the league, and then also let you know with one little comment along the way that you're replaceable. <laughs> so yeah. don't think for a second if you make three or four mistakes in three or four straight games that you won't be replaced. So he was great there. I, you know, John Gregory was... Um, a great people person. Uh, I think at times he he was really working later in his career. In the year we won in 89, he was working on his uh, sideline management and game management and really trying to, you know, not lose his temper there and things like that. I think he evolved in that regard, but I think he was a great people person behind the scenes. Yeah, John Gregory, coach of the Rough Riders. Uh, Of course, Don Matthews coached a bunch of different teams. Glenn Suter, part of that here, and he's joining us now as one of our teammates. Okay, uh, Suits, um, let's talk a little bit about something you touched on the last time because I had to snicker when I saw the kind of the – on TSN, the byline rolled down there. Uh, XFL coaches named, and a bunch of them are former NFLers, not just coaches, but players. So that speaks to something you touched on before. It's basically going to be an NFL developmental slash farm league. That's what it's going to be. And and had we, you know, had we gone XFL, CFL, and changed rules, and and then it became a farm league, people would say, "Oh, that's, that's just a farm league." So it's it's interesting how uh, the narrative's being woven, and how it looks like you're right. It's it's becoming a farm league. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I just and and there's not necessarily that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the NFL did the experiment with the farm league when they had NFL Europe. That was the purpose of NFL Europe to play, you know, have a a, a league over there that. They would sort of develop players that didn't make it in the NFL, not pay them very much at all, sort of centrally run. So there's no players union, there's no CBA and players negotiating for bigger salaries and things like that. That doesn't happen in these type of leagues. Um, what happens is they're centrally run. The the payment for uh, contracts for players and coaches goes through the league office and they have complete sort of control on that and can cap it wherever they want to cap it. So it, it just looks like everything that they're doing so far is an indication that that's what this is going to be. It's going to be sort of a farm system, a training center, 
um, where they play games probably in, I'm not even sure if they're going to travel to different cities, much like the USFL might just play in one city. Um, but when you think about uh, the the announcement about a month ago where the XFL said, we are going to look at different rule changes that we will experiment with that the NFL will watch. So the NFL will then have basically a guinea pig to say, okay, what what if we did this and you know, made the ball glowing when it crossed the goal line. That, for instance, that that's one that's been talked about. And then they'll they'll do it in the XFL, and that's what a farm system is for. Do it in the XFL, and and if it works or it looks corny, they don't do it if it looks corny, and if it works, they do it. So, and then you you put together this this latest uh, sort of collaboration with the alumni academy in the NFL, which has a handful of players, twenty players or so. And it's in its third year where players that were free agents in the NFL, they kind of train at this alumni academy and they stay kind of in the system. And teams, when they get hit with a lot of injuries, can look and see if there's maybe an O-lineman or something there that's been training at this academy that they can pick up. So, But if, if anybody and anyone starts to um, sort of describe all of this as if this is going to hurt the Canadian football recruitment. First of all, we don't recruit, okay? Pro, pro sports don't recruit. They, they go down and they offer a contract. You can either take the contract or not. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, there's six, seven, ten guys lined up right behind you that the contract has moved to. And that's how it is. It's not, it's not college recruiting that's going to be, um, you know, hampered by these these arrangements. It just seems to me that the XFL is going that direction like a farm system. Let me ask you, though, before we go to break, do you think where the CFL, because there will always be great American talent that comes up here in place, but I do think sure. the one position that is kind of in short supply, and it's not just the CFL, it'll be the USFL, it'll be the XFL, and we've seen it in the NFL, it's the quarterbacking position. So, that's where the CFL might have a bit of an issue. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, granted, you'll make more in the CFL. I agree with you, but you just never, you just never know. You know what I mean? That's the one position where I think we're talent thin everywhere. Well, you know, I think that'll be cyclical. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think when you start to look at the overall numbers, you know, you can say that there's how many Division One NCAA teams. And how many youth sport quarterbacks, Canadian-wise, are we going to start to see, like the Nathan Rourke's kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not very many there, probably a handful there. But you look at Division One NCAA. Okay, so the top guys will probably be drafted in the NFL, and uh, the top guys. When I say the top guys, I mean the top-rated guys. Ratings are very different depending on the scout, depending on the league, depending on what you need from the quarterback position on your offense. Uh, and then you look at Division two and three, and you start to get into Division two and three down south. You know that's where we found Bo Levi Mitchell. That's where we found Michael Riley and Matt Nichols, and a lot of quarterbacks that have had great success in the CFL have come from Div- Division three ball. I, I think you know when when we look from the outside, we sort of rank them. If they're playing Div three, they're not as good as the Div one guys. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. It, it just depends on the opportunity. It depends on when you drop Bo Levi Mitchell, who played Div three into uh, or Div two into a uh, into a pro team in Canada. Can he figure it out or not? So I, I'm not concerned 
you know, like there's there's less numbers than say DBs or running backs, like you said, Michael. So the, yeah. the overall total number to draw from is less. But we'll find our guys. Yeah. All right. We'll find them. We're going to talk a little bit about the naturalization of Canadian or of Americans, and I'm just hoping it's not. Uh a backdoor way to eliminate Canadians. But we'll talk about that with Glenn Suter, one of the biggest patriots of them all, on the other side of the break. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. The show's sponsor today is Spreads.ca. This sports ticker brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781-2090. NHL Sabres tied with the Bruins, or with the Blues, pardon me, at one after one. Ottawa trailing the Bruins in the first one nothing. It's 2-0 Lightning leading the Ducks after one. Hurricanes and Red Wings scoreless. It's the Leafs 2-0 over the Capitals after one. Austin Matthews doesn't have a goal. He is stuck on 58 right now. And the Penguins have a 2-0 lead on the Islanders after one. Major League Baseball Jays and the Yankees in a rain delay. Earlier we had uh, Seattle beating Chicago 5-1 and Tampa doubling up or sorry, Oakland doubling up Tampa 6-3. to We've got Philadelphia and Miami tied at one in the bottom of the fourth. Top of the fourth, it's 5-3 Pittsburgh over Washington and Milwaukee taking it to the Cardinals. Bottom of the seventh, 5 to nothing. Continuing our talk with Glenn Suter, uh, the uh, CFL, CFLPA apparently talking and is reported by... Uh, Dave Naylor and Farhan Lalji, who I'm going to have on the show tomorrow. Yes, we do, are doing a show on Good Friday. Um, talking about the naturalization of Americans. And you and I touched on this last time you were on. We're both not opposed to it. I would like to see at least a four-year minimum for that American in the Canadian, same Canadian market on the same Canadian team because they've set down roots. There's familiarity and stardom built in that community, and they're given they're they're entrenched in that community. So I would be okay with that. But I just feel like we're trying our best to eliminate the Canadians, and I don't, I don't like it. I'm going to ask Farhan that very question tomorrow. Hey Farhan, do you think the problem with this league is too many Canadians? Because I don't know, man. We You start giving a little bit away, a little turns into more, turns into more, and pretty soon we don't have our Canadian Football League. That's how I feel. Well, your 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 concerns are, are not yours alone. I guarantee you that. And, uh, you know, I, I have similar concerns that, first of all, the messaging will be incorrect. Secondly, that it will be sort of the thin edge of the wedge going through the door uh, to to you know lessen the content and I'm and I'm not for that at all. I you know again let let's break this into segments for a second. First of all, the the ratio itself and this concern that offensive linemen again devaluing world class athletes and offensive linemen like Dan Clark that I spent the weekend with and and is that's that's messaging is just incorrect and and offensive linemen are are being. Uh, beaten or dominated by American defensive linemen. Well, listen, the, the, the current ratio does not specify where you play your Canadians. So any time a coach wants to play American offensive linemen and think they will do better there, then they should do it. And this idea that we should make 
mandatory three on D and mandatory three on offense has a whole bunch of pitfalls, a whole bunch of issues. Because if you start doing that now, how long does it take for teams to recruit differently um, to sort of catch up with that philosophy? Because right now they may be building their team through the draft and other areas of free agency with offensive linemen because that's their strategy. So you're going to change that now drastically. And now teams are going to take three, four years of drafting Canadians to, you know, change it where they have to put put guys on defense or or play them in specific positions. So I think there's a whole bunch of issues with that idea. The the naturalization, I don't think I think we should discuss that. It to me should be five years or more, mm-hmm. not even four. Mm-hmm. I would say five. But there's also a concern there with that American player. That American player now, his his sort of um, leverage in a contract negotiation completely changes the moment that he is in that naturalization pocket. So he's finished his fifth year, and let's say it's Brian Burnham in B.C., and he finishes his fifth year, and now he becomes a naturalized Canadian, and he signs a contract. But now his leverage in that contract goes through the roof. So there's going to have to be a way to control that. That's another sort of trickle-down effect to this idea. And then finally with the Canadians, the best way to do this, if you're going to even discuss it, is to make sure you're opening more opportunities at the other end for Canadian players. So if that's a developmental squad, I'm not sure what the answer there is, but maybe it's just as simple as adding one more Canadian doesn't have to be a starter, but one more Canadian to the roster. And, yeah. and therefore, therefore, now you've got nine new Canadian jobs that have now been added to the league. And you may, if you have that five-year veteran, you may be able to naturalize one and make him a Canadian starter. Uh, you know, technically a Canadian starter. So, yeah. and, and then it, and then it actually helps, Michael, the... The idea that the Ron Lancaster, George Reed idea, where they come up from the States, they play, they make their home in Canada, they stay here, they have their, their you know, their, their families are brought up in Canada. And, and, and that's a great story for our league. So that's what naturalization is a positive to that for that American player. But there's a lot of things that have to be discussed and messaging is going to be important here, too. Yeah, you know what? I've jotted down a few notes that we could talk about on Monday when you're back on, but we're out of time. And remember, you got the weekend now, Glenn. I got to remember too. Top five Canadians on Monday, okay? That that go to the Canadian Athlete of the Year yes, category. That's right. Exactly. Yes. That's what I mean. The top five Canadians of all time that played in the CFL. That's what I want. Okay. That's what Good I want. Good deal, buddy. All Have right. A great weekend and yeah. happy Easter to all the football fans listening. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. That's Glenn Suter for Quality Tire on the Western Pizza Hotline. This show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Gee, I'm listing off all these sponsors. I feel like a Spangler Cup hockey jersey, and I love it. When we come back on the other side of 6 o'clock, Arash Madani and Pat's head coach, Brad Haroff. What does he think about guaranteed win night tomorrow night? We'll get his thoughts. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM.
Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. All right, let's get after it here. Our show brought to you by Spreads.ca. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. And when we have our buddy Arash Madani on, it's known as the Madani Report. And it's brought to you by Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money. Call Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions, 546-2533. As we open the season, it's a two-horse race for the AL MVP. It's Shohei Otani, who his one chink in the armor was he walked people, but in his last 12 starts, he has a walk rate of 3%, so he appears to be tightening that up. And the other guy is obviously Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Rash yesterday gets his hand stepped on. But then, all, but then all he does is rub some dirt on it, and he goes four. He had four hits, three homers. Jays win six to four. What a performance! Now just think about that, Balzi. He gets his foot. He gets his hand stomped on by Aaron Hicks's foot. He's gushing blood all over the place. They have to stitch it up. So when we're when we're counting this up, the checklist is four hits, three homers. Two stitches, one double. Mm-hmm. Um, don't mind if I do. And does it against, oh, yeah, Garrett Cole, one of the highest-paid pitchers in the game, at Yankee Stadium, division opponent, um, all of it. And we're watching the growth, the evolution. We're watching a kid just grow up before our eyes. But we're watching not just a star, not a superstar. You just get the sense, don't you, Ballsy, that's like – this is a megastar that is just, you know, from from the beginning, we've had a front row seat to watch him take significant steps forward, and it still feels like it's just the beginning. Do you agree with Pat Tabler, who said he reminds you of a present, uh, reminds people of a present day, a younger version of Miguel Cabrera? I thought that was a bang on comp, and. It, it's funny because Ricky Romero, who used to be the Blue Jays, actually was the Blue Jays ace and opening day starter one year, but Ricky would always talk about how Cabrera was such um, it, on all sides of the plate. Mm-hmm. There was no weakness to his approach. There was no area where you could exploit Cabrera. And it feels like Vlad is the same. Like there is a natural power. There's a natural gift with that swing and what he continues to do is just gain an understanding of himself and of the big leagues and what it takes to prepare himself against pitchers in the big leagues and so you know he's figured a routine out for himself that's working he's understood how to watch video he's obviously got himself into much better shape and leaner and all those things and balls is like every night you're seeing the payoff, and last night was another one of those. Speaking of payoff for Madani, he's getting paid peanuts by comparison. I think what seven point nine million bucks. Um, there's, you know, you, you you gotta win when you have the window. It'd be nice to see the Jays do it here with the Bichette and Guerrero on small deals. But what are we thinking for extensions for these guys? Because eventually, these boys need to get paid. Well, I thought the telling so. Lads one and Bo's one, right? Guerrero and Bichette are the two that Blue Jay fans have their eyes on. 
I thought one of the real telling moments last year came when your buddy Tatis got his deal with the Padres. Mm-hmm. And when Fernando Tatis Jr. signed for, what was it, 12 years, 330, something like that? Yeah. We asked Bichette for his reaction, and the first thing Bo said was, well, he was probably underpaid. And so right there, you got a real sense that Bichette is not going to settle for one cent less than what he believes will be perceived market value. He will not sign for one cent less than what he believes he can get on the open market. And if he gets to free agency, he's earned that right. But you have two sons of former big leaguers who understand the business and know how this works. And Balzi, by the time, if they get to free agency, I have to believe that the first number on their contracts for Guerrero and Bichette, I know this sounds crazy, it wouldn't start with a three, but a four. Wow. Like we're talking about multi-year, $400 million deals for these guys because that's what it's going to take to get it done. Wow, that's big time. That's a Rash Madani money right there. That is huge money. Hey, okay, so uh, speaking of money, I'm sorry. I said this earlier on the show. I'm sticking by it. Clayton Kershaw has gone through seven innings. Yes, it's a cooler day in, in Minneapolis. Maybe if it's in Southern California, it's a different story. But sports nerds ruin sports. Oh, eh, pitch count. Uh, he's at 80 pitches. We got to watch it. Oh, my gosh. Listen, baseball has no ratings. You're the dude that told, well, except for the Blue Jays. You're the guy that told me, oh, the average age of a Baseball fan is 57. People don't go to the games. Yeah, the home opener, the first weekend, that type of stuff. And then they don't go. Okay? We need to get people interested in this sport again. You have something early on. And Dave Roberts, for the second time, pulls these shenanigans and pulls the guy out. If I'm Rob Manfred, I'm on the phone, and I'm telling him, I'm fining your ass 100000 bucks. That's a bunch of BS. Solid rant, Ballsy. Solid rant. Uh, let me offer the counter-argument to this. I covered the National League playoffs last year. And do you know who is not pitching in that, in that in those playoffs for the L.A. Dodgers? Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, who injured himself late in the regular season and wasn't right to the point where he didn't even pick up a baseball until the month of February. So you're talking about a dude who hadn't even pitched coming off a serious elbow issue for six months. And now it's the beginning of the season. They didn't have a full spring training. Like, I think that, I think what the narrative has been is these are the analytics nerds who are ruining baseball and taking over baseball, et cetera. But I really, truly believe that in this scenario, this is uh, Clayton Kershaw not being able to go out there to see if he could pitch a perfect game was a victim of circumstance. You're talking about a 34-year-old dude coming off an elbow injury that kept him out for six months where he's not properly prepared, and the Dodgers are going for a world championship again. Mm. It's, It's World Series or bust for them. What's the right 
thing to do in this situation is do right by the player. And and Kershaw even admitted it. He said, look, I, I get it that if I was a fan, I'd want to see that. But, you know, 38-degree afternoon Fahrenheit, and Kershaw hadn't really pitched. Well, that's a story. I understand the decision. I, I really do. Okay, and I can you talk me a little bit off the ledge, but uh, that that brings up a whole other discussion for another time. Why the hell are we playing baseball in April in Minnesota? Hundred and sixty-two games. Like, come on. I, I, that's the season's too long. But they'll never give up the revenue. I get it. Okay. Uh, right. There are more first-round draft slots being traded all over the place in the NFL. Okay, like you and I would trade trading cards. That's what it feels like. Uh, what do we make of this two weeks before the draft? Well, I think, Baldy, look at some of the money that went around in free agency this year and the crazy receiver money and the absurd quarterback money. And suddenly, if you're a team, I think what you're saying to yourself is, in a salary cap league, if we draft a guy in the first round, we have him under team control for five years. And really, it's not until the fourth year where their salary even makes a dent into our cap. Before, the value of a first-round pick was huge because it was a lottery ticket and what that player could turn into. Now the value of a first-round pick is even more significant because we may be able to get ourselves a starter, and he may only cost us 3 or $4 million on our cap in year two. Mm-hmm. And so if you get, you know, suddenly that's where the value is. And if you're paying your quarterback a pile of money, if you're paying your receiver a pile of money, if you're paying your left tackle a pile of money, suddenly you need to make sure that you can round out your roster with impact players and skilled players uh, who aren't going to cost you too much against the cap. And I think that's a big byproduct of what all this is about. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, I look at this. Baker Mayfield's destined for Seattle, isn't he? Like, they're not going to go Geno Smith and Drew Locke. And and he's not going to stay in Cleveland. Cleveland's on the hook for all the money, $18.8 million. So if they cut him, he can go uh, make the minimum salary just over a million dollars. So why not get something for him? I think he ends up in Seattle as the quarterback of the Seahawks because Seattle's got... Well, what do you get for him? What do you get for him, though? Well, a late-round pick. You'd get a late-round pick. Like, Seattle, you can't tell me Seattle's not going to look at their roster and say, Geno Smith and and Drew Locke, we can't do this. Here's what I wonder. Do you just cut them if you're Cleveland? Well, I mean, there is that. There is that, but they still got to pay them, right? I don't know what it is on the yeah. books. I don't know what it is on the books. What I'm saying is, get, get I something. I think it's around 18. Yeah, so get, 18, yeah, 18.8. So get something for him. Like, you might as well get something for him, I, whether it's a sixth-round pick, a seventh-round pick, but maybe at that time it's like, well, whatever. I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, it's just, that's the weirdest. Yeah. That is the That is very Cleveland Brownish, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And I'm surprised when we saw the Derek Carr contract that the Deshaun Watson deal didn't make that huge an impact in what Carr signed for because outside of year one, the Raiders really aren't on the hook for a ton more. Yeah, that's true. I almost got the sense that every quarterback moving forward was going to have all but everything guaranteed. I'll tell you. Um, we didn't 
we didn't see it right away. He's the most underrated elite quarterback in the NFL. Like he's a in my the list I had, he's a top ten quarterback. He is in about number nine for me. The dude had Henry Ruggs with his stupid drinking and driving kills that woman. Uh, John yeah. John Gruden's stupidity. Darren Waller's out for off and on. He's he's hobbled by injury all year. His O line is less than spectacular. I mean. And he willed them to the playoffs. And people still are like, well, you know, Derek Carr. Derek Carr is a and top. And now, and now you have uh, Devontae Adams in the mix. Yes. Yes. Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, two teammates. He said it's like he could probably complete. They could probably throw to each other after a couple of weeks of practice. They could probably throw to each other ten times in the dark and complete eight of them. That is good. With Hunter Renfro, with a healthy Darren Waller. And the funny thing is, Arash, he's a top ten quarterback, but he's probably the fourth best quarterback in the AFC West. Yeah. Yeah. What a murderer's row that division and the quarterback that division up hey. top. Look, yeah, those Chargers, they better win this year. Oh, yeah. Because you're about to next off season have to get into the uh, Justin Herbert sweepstakes. And how much more is that going to cost you? Wow, that's, uh, that's north of 40 for sure. It could be gross. Uh, lastly, quickly, uh, you got a prediction on the Raptors and the 76ers. I actually believe, and I know Philly's uh, the favorite. I know Philly has home court advantage. I really like the matchup for the Raptors. I think that Pascal Siakam is a matchup nightmare for Philly. I, I understand Embiid is Embiid, and who knows what you're going to get with James Harden. I think there are going to be a number of different defensive looks that Nick Nurse is going to throw Philadelphia's way. That I don't want to say they don't quite see it coming, but there, there will be something in the bag of in the bag of tricks, and you know I thought it was an interesting quote from Fred Van Vliet today because he was asked, "What happens if you can't win the position possession battle?" Rather, um, you know, is there a plan B there? And he said, "You know, come on, man, it's Nick Nurse. You know, mm-hmm. Nick Nurse brought out the box and one high school kind of defense in the NBA Finals, so." I think that the have a legit shot of winning this series, Balsy. I agree. I think Nick Nurse is, right now, he's my favorite coach in pro sports. I like Nick Nurse. Anyway, I got to go. Thanks, Arash. Happy Easter and have a great weekend. You too, Balsy. Take care. Take man. care. That's Arash Madani joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline for Smart Investing Solutions and our buddy Brian Golly. When we come back, we wrap up with Pat's coach, Brad Haroff, on the sports cage for spreads.ca here on 620 CKRM.
Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Just waiting to get a hold of... Just waiting to get a hold of the uh, Regina Pats head coach, Brad Haroff. As we're trying to uh, hunt him down and ask his opinion on the guaranteed win night tomorrow. The Regina Pats and the Winnipeg Ice Friday and Saturday here at the Brandt Center. Sunday, they're taking on the um, Moose Jaw Warriors. Now, the Pats come into this weekend. They're two points out of a playoff spot with three to go. There's many reasons to get your tickets. Before we get into the guaranteed win night, how about this? Connor Bedard has 49 goals and I want to say 92 points on the season. So he's got 49 goals, 92 points, a chance for 50 to be the youngest player in Western Hockey League history to get it. Logan Nyhoffs could be playing his last three games as a Regina Pat. So get out and support Logan too because there's a guy that's given back to the community. We're joined now by the coach of the Regina Pats or one of them, Brad Haroff. Brad, thanks for joining me. Uh, first, let's start with Bedard quickly. 50 goals, a chance at 50 goals. If I would suggest if you guys are going to make the playoffs, you probably have to get at least three points this weekend. He'll probably have to go north of 50 to do it. Just your thoughts on maybe the youngest kid ever to accomplish that feat. Yeah, everything he keeps on doing just doesn't really surprise anybody what he's doing right now. Um, obviously, for what we're trying to accomplish right now, making the playoffs, he's probably going to have to get probably closer to 55 for us uh, <laughs> right now in, in the next three games. Um, but with him, his determination, the kind of player he is, you know, that's not out of, out of his realm that he can accomplish. Man, you got a nice little setup here. Like, Bedard... You got Tanner Howe, who is a late pick and worked his way up the lineup. We've talked about him. And then you got a guy like Kelton Pine who comes up huge in Swift Current the other night, a 16-year-old, a 16-year-old goalie who, oh, by the way, stopped 45 shots and two shutouts the first time he started on home ice in two games. Yeah, no, it's something we got brewing here with a younger group, and I can go on about three or four more guys here um, within, that are 16, 17, 18 years old in our lineup. Um, our future is looking bright. And those are the guys right now that we're getting the playoffs is going to be, you know, those guys are going to be three 16-year-olds is going to be a big part of it. Well, you're in the playoffs, right? This is the playoffs for you right now. Is that kind of your message to the guys? These are the playoffs right here. They start tomorrow night. Yeah, we've been kind of in that mode for the last six weeks doing that, um, just playing playoff hockey and just being ready for it. Um, for us, uh, we've been trying to climb back in the playoff race. We've got ourselves back in the playoff race. And I'll see the way the weekend set up. Um, it's nothing better for us all three games at home here mm-hmm. we've always had a real good record at home um, and when the brand center is packed there's nothing better that you know play in front of the atmosphere Gu- guaranteed win night tomorrow we know what happened the last time they were here they beat you 7 nothing. did you at any point say to Sean Semple uh, hey boss uh, I don't know about this or are you okay with a guaranteed win night no I think this kind of just goes to show like he's got a lot of faith in us um, with our team here um, and for us, we all know what the stakes are at, you know, and we know what kind of team they're, that they have, you know, for us, it's, um, it's do or die. So without, without it, he's just trying to create a good atmosphere in our rink and trying to make a better experience for a fan. So I think that's one of the cool things about what he's doing here. He's, it's not always about the wind here. It's about trying to create a good atmosphere. And, and even into next year, if we don't win, well, those fans get a, 
get a voucher for next year's mm-hmm. team. Um, I think that's the best part of it. I think they're just trying to create, you know, a playoff style atmosphere in our rink in a short period of time. Obviously, it's not best for you know. Obviously, Winnipeg these should be home games for them. Mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to make the best of it, and I think it's. You know, I think it's honorable about what Sean's kind of done to step up here to try to make a good atmosphere and a good, you know, a fan experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. And lastly, I want to get a comment from you about Logan Nyhoff, a guy that you've been with right from the get-go. I know you were pretty emotional when he signed that deal with the San Diego Gulls. Yeah, you know, guys, there's not there's not very many better uh, captains, you know, have been traded in the past. And there's been a lot of real good ones here, and I've been – you know, for a person that actually cares about the community and actually has gone out of his way to, you know, have an impact in the community, you know, that's what Logan's been. Um, and to see what he's got on ice, you know, from the San Diego team and and just to be able to extend his career, um, it's all hard-earned and it's, you know, it's something that, you know, I think Regina people all come to appreciate, just the effort and the hard work that he's come by. He's come by it honestly. Coach? Thanks for your time. I know it was a short time, but you got to get ready. You got three games and three nights and a chance to make the playoffs, and I'm doing the math. I'm four would do it comfortably. I think you could probably do it with three, but I'm looking for some good performances. Good luck, okay? Thank you very much for having us. That's uh, Brad Haroff. Head, uh, well, he's acting right now as the head coach, but he's uh, one of the many coaches on the Pats bench with Paddock and Ken Schneider helping this hockey team hopefully get to the playoffs. This has been the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca. I want to remind you, though, tomorrow it's not a best of. We don't take any time off here. We are the number one sports show in Saskatchewan from border to border and beyond. We'll be here tomorrow, including a chat with Mark Tressman. Remember that tweet from a while ago where he doesn't want to change any of this game we'll get it into that with mark tressman tomorrow right here on the sports cage from 4 to 6 30 on the source 6 20 ckrm we'll talk to you tomorrow